Well, hello again. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Freedom International live stream where all of us are coming from different places. Okay, and I have Roy Colon and he's all the way in Poland right now, originally from Ireland of the Awakening podcast. And we have Steve Fierro from Long Island and, and all the way in Asia and with his Awakened Mind podcast. And we have Chris Ryan um, from Ireland, but originally, uh, originally from Ireland, but he is right now in London and that's his podcast, okay? And yours truly from the Philippines and I live in Princeton, New Jersey. So welcome. So we are very proud and honored to have um, Alex Newman and Alex Newman is a special guest of ours. And for those of you who don't know, he's really, you know, for me, I see him as a very well-rounded um, journalist and he's an award-winning journalist, educator, author, speaker, investor, consultant. So as if this conversation could go into many different uh, angles, but it's up to you to get what you need to share to your family and to your friends so that you can continue to, you know, be part of the movement for truth and freedom. Okay, so Alex, and go ahead and tell us anything more that brought you from a plain student, you know, and in the educational system, and then here you are. Well, thank you so much, Grace. Thank you all for, for having me. It's an honor to be with you. Um, yeah, I, I actually never went to a public school in America. I grew up uh, overseas and went to international schools, private international schools for most of my life. I spent seven years in a French school in Mexico and then international schools in Brazil and Switzerland. So I didn't understand how disastrous the government and I, I won't even honor it with with calling it an education system. It's not an education system. I, I say the government's indoctrination system. I didn't realize how atrocious it was. Now, I'm not going to say that my education was great. In fact, it was very heavy on globalist indoctrination and big government indoctrination. They were training up the future managers, the managerial elite for the global system they want to build. Uh, but I at least got the tools to be able to educate myself. So I learned how to read. I learned how to think. I learned how to reason. I learned the basic rules of logic and things like this. Uh, and that ended up being a tremendous asset. Whereas children in America's government schools, and unfortunately in other places as well, uh, are deprived even of those very basic tools. Uh, and the government's data shows this clearly. So after getting out of school, I actually got expelled from school in 10th grade. I thought school was incredibly dumb. Um, I was not interested in that. Um, bounced around the world for a little while and realized that we had been lied to about everything. <laughs> right? I started investigating the Federal Reserve, uh, the, the monetary system, the criminal justice system, just everything. It, the more I looked, the more it, it was obvious that I had been lied to, that humanity had been lied to. And that forced a, a drastic re-examination of everything I believed. And it, I just, I happened to end up in journalism by default. There was no special cool story. I just wasn't especially good at anything else. I didn't pay any attention in school to math or anything. Uh, which I think I also ended up being fortuitous, but uh, I did learn how to write. And, uh, you know, my teachers all throughout my my schooling said, well, hey, you're not good at anything, but at least you can write. And so I ended up in journalism school by default. And then combined with everything that I was learning, I thought, wow, I have to get this information to people. And it just it worked out uh, perfectly. I, I feel by divine providence. And that's how I uh, ended up doing what I'm doing now, exposing evil and reproving evil wherever I can find it. Well, thank you, Alex, and thank you for everything that you do. I know we just started a podcast, but let me just 
as you already because we've been podcasting together for over a year now and at some point we really get tired of I mean exhausted okay like as how as we continue to educate people so now how about you just tell us right now it address it to parents of all ages because everyone is concerned whether it's education and primary high school and college what's the call to action so that they can have that education and come up to be a critical thinker freedom lover and god fearing yeah, I, I think the answer is very clear and it's very simple. You must get your children out of the government's brainwash camps. It's just that simple. And I, I already know all of the objections. I've been <laughs> sounding the alarm here for 10 years. I already know, oh, well, we don't have the, enough money. Oh, well, you know, we need to both work so that we can afford our vacation house in Colorado. Oh, I, but, you know, my kids need to be salt and light. I know all the excuses. I know all the justifications. I'm happy to address each one. But long story short, if you love your children, you must get them out of the government's brainwash system. They are being dumbed down. They are being sexualized. They are being indoctrinated in ways that are just unfathomable that people even 10, 15 years ago who went through public school couldn't even imagine the filth, the garbage, the evil that is being uh, forced into the minds and, and the souls and the hearts of our young people. So the answer is very simple. You got to get your children out. And then that opens up the new question. Well, okay, I got them out. Now what do I do? And I think there are many options that are adequate. Uh, in my opinion, homeschooling is the gold standard for people who can do it. Um, and that sounds radical to people who haven't done it, but that was actually the norm for almost all of human history, mm -hmm. right? Our, our ancestors, goat herders, 3,000, 2,000, 1,000 years ago, they all educated their children at home. Uh, in America, where you know, my, my homeland, I'm from America and I'm very proud to be an American, um, our ancestors were also primarily home educated. If you look at our founding fathers, the men who created our nation, almost every single one of them was primarily educated at home by mom, by dad, by aunts and uncles, grandma and grandpa and older brothers and sisters. And this created the most literate, the most highly educated people on the planet. It created the most prosperous, most free system of government that had ever existed. Now we've fallen a long way from there. Don't get me wrong. We've had government brainwash camps in our country now for over 150 years. So we've taken a, a turn downward. But uh, homeschooling works. It's proven to have worked. It was the norm throughout most of human history. It's not nearly as radical as the education establishment wants you to think it is. Now, for those who can't homeschool for whatever reason, and I hate to give people the, the wiggle room to get out here, but there are other options that are acceptable, in my opinion. There are still some decent private schools. I think the number is getting smaller and smaller. There are homeschool co-ops uh, all across America now and around the world. There are groups of parents coming together and forming cooperatives where maybe they're hiring a few teachers. Uh, we've, we've got a, one of our allies is now training up people to start one-room schoolhouses and churches. So there's a, a huge array of options that will be significantly better for your children than a public education. And and honestly, there are some children who slip through the cracks, you know, depending on what uh, data set you use, maybe 10 to 20% of the children going through the government's brainwash system will slip through the cracks and they won't end up as freedom hating, God hating, family hating, indoctrinated zombies that want to burn down the country. But uh, it's a very small minority. And those tend to be the ones who didn't pay any attention in school, like me, uh, the people who you know mess around and don't listen to the teacher and are poking the friends mm -hmm. and writing notes to girls and stuff. Uh, you know, those are the ones who, who escape the brainwashing. And yet, what do parents say? Oh, you got to listen to the teacher. You got to behave yourself, right? So the best option by far, is, simple answer, get the children out. If you can, homeschool them. Lots of options in homeschooling. If you can't, make sure you find a very good private option, like a co-op, like a, a Christian school, whatever the case may be. 
Thank you very much. I strongly agree. And there will be many more questions. So okay, we can keep this conversation dynamic and fruitful for all the viewers. So I'm going to pass it on to Roy. Hi, Alex. Hey, Roy. This is something that's passionate to me because I've covered it a few times on my awakening, the education system on my awakening podcast. But I've also got a speaking podcast. And I always ask people for their, their speaking journey. And the amount of people that tell me they were either bullied in the school or abused by a teacher is massive. And I think that's intentional to keep people living under fair in the school system. Yeah, there's, there's no question about it in my mind. In fact, the federal government did a survey, and this was released a few years ago, where they found that 10% of, I, I call them victims, uh, the victims in government schools, have been sexually abused, sexually molested by a staff member, a teacher or, or an administrator in a public school. Um, and and the, the entire system from top to bottom uh, is designed, I think, to break the children, right? It, it beats the love of learning out of them. It beats the curiosity out of them. Part of it is terror. Part of it is indoctrination. Part of it is just sheer boredom. Part of it is hate and this weaponization that we see now in the education system where they're trying to turn children in, into these hateful machines. They hate their country. They hate their parents. We've got people in, in my own extended family. They're out there calling their, their parents fascists and white supremacists because they like President Trump or something like that. Uh, th this hate, this division that we're seeing, it's deliberate. It's part of the plan. They have orchestrated this on purpose. And I think you're absolutely right, Roy. This is not an accident. It is built into the system and it's getting worse. Yeah. And the other thing is, I know, like I've heard you talk about this, but like they've they basically dumbed down the system. So I know phonetics, you know, the way of, but now it's a case of kind of memory. And I found that even, I mean, I went to school in the seventies, like, but it was always memory, nothing else, nothing about creative skills and the other skills that you could have. And that's why like me as well, you know, I'd be the, the guy throwing the paper or, or the pa <laughs> you know, blown, blown paper at somebody's head. Like, but, yeah. Yeah. So uh, like, and that's how they've done it. Like you might explain to people, cause I don't think they even realize it, how they've yeah. done down the system. Yeah, you're right. And, and and I think to start with, I need to make clear that this was the goal from the very beginning. Um, th this isn't like, oh, the education system got hijacked and, and now it's bad. The people who created the system from the very beginning had these ideas in mind. So I, I want to address the, the memorization issue from a number of different angles. Um, the very first guy to seriously implement government control over education in America, his name was Horace Mann. And he may have had good intentions in this respect. I don't believe he did, but he may have. I don't have any evidence proving otherwise. Um, and so when he created this government school system in the state of Massachusetts with help from the state legislature and wealthy uh, Unitarian backers from Harvard University, uh, they brought in this new method of teaching reading. Now, the, the people who developed this method of teaching reading, they did it with the best of intentions. Um, it was at an asylum, they called it, for the dumb and the deaf. So these are, there are children that couldn't hear, that couldn't speak. And the problem with with reading uh, when you're when you're deaf is that you can't create the association between a symbol and a and a sound, right? So the letter W stands for wa, right? Wa. And uh, when you tell a deaf child that a W makes a wa sound, that when they see that symbol, they need to make a wa sound and then combine it with whatever's next to it. That makes no sense because they can't hear the sound that you're trying to make, and so they cannot literally cannot learn how to read using a phonetic system of writing. And so what this asylum figured out wonderful reverend, Reverend Golodet, said, hey, maybe we can teach children to memorize entire words, and that way the written word will be accessible to them. So, for example, it, it, the way you would teach a child to read the word cat, 
a, a child who was not deaf, you'd tell them that a C makes a K sound, an A makes an uh sound, and a T makes a T sound, and then you can blend those together and you get the word cat. We get it phonetically by sounding out each of the letters. So what they did in this asylum for deaf children was train them to memorize the entire word. So they just put the word cat on a paper and they you know, put a picture of a cat or they'd show them a cat and say, look, when you see this symbol with the word cat being a symbol, not a series of symbols, then you know we're talking about this fuzzy animal with the pokey ears and whatever that likes to eat mice. So for deaf children, this was a big advance. This was a, a great development because if they could memorize a few thousand words, suddenly they could pick up a book and they could understand a lot of what was written there. Yeah, if they get to a word that they haven't memorized, you know, they'll struggle. They'll have to figure out how to decipher what that word means, maybe from the context or whatever. So it's not perfect, but for deaf children, it was a big advance. What happened under Horace Mann is that they actually tried to impose this system on non-deaf children. So in the schools of Boston, uh, back in the 1840s, they rolled out this day and they started teaching non-deaf children to read using this whole word method. Well, uh, I've actually got a wonderful book behind me. Where is it? Right there, the New Illiterates in blue, um, right above my head, the New Illiterates. And so in this book, the New Illiterates, it was written by Dr. Sam Blumenfeld, who I co-wrote uh, Crimes of the Educators with. He actually reprinted the essay that the schoolmasters in Boston wrote about this atrocity. They said a very nice diplomatic language characteristic of the era. Hey, you know, we, we tried this. It doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. And so we're just going to go back to teaching children to read the way that we always taught them how to read with our phonetic system by teaching them what sound each of the letters is associated with and then how to blend those. So long story short, uh, these children were left handicapped. They were left debilitated. They were incapable of becoming good readers because their brains had been wired the wrong way. We didn't hear about this again for probably 50 years until John Dewey came along. Uh, John Dewey, now this is a guy who went to the Soviet Union for inspiration on how to create an education system. He's often called the founding father of America's educational system. He never mentioned in all his wonderful essays about how great the Soviet Union was, that millions of people were being slaughtered, that there were gulags, that we were starving people to death, that we were torturing. Never mentioned any of that, but he praised the collectivistic mentality in the schools uh, and so on. So he resurrected this method of teaching reading, and he, he actually had an experimental school at the University of Chicago. It was funded by the Rockefellers. They had one of their philanthropic organizations called the General Education Board. They gave him $3 million. They said, do your experimental school at the University of Chicago. He did. Children came out of there unable to read, unable to write, and unable to tell right from wrong. And John Dewey thought, hey, this will be perfect for our purposes. So he create, created uh, with colleagues at the University of Chicago and later at Columbia University, these readers that would teach children all across America after World War II, they started being adopted everywhere, how to read using this whole word method of teaching reading, knowing full well that it was going to leave them illiterate. And I, I believe that was his objective. And I, I actually have an essay that he wrote called The Primary Education Fetish, where he explains that we really need to stop emphasizing reading and writing and math for these little children. What they really need is to become good little collectivists, right? And stop thinking about the individual and start thinking about the collective, straight communist garbage. So uh, fast forward to uh, the 1950s. We had Rudolph Flesch release the book, Why Johnny Can't Read, where he exposed all of this. 1973, we had Samuel Blumenfeld release The New Illiterates. Again, he exposed all of this. Fast forward to the 2000s, we now have the, uh, the brain scans being done by scientists, neuroscientists who are scanning the brains of these children. And they're saying, look, there's physical damage in the brains of the children that you're using this method on. And yet it is still mandated under what's called Common Core, our national uh, education standards. They've got kindergarten children memorizing what the standards describe as high frequency sight words. So 
this uh, has been an absolute disaster. We went from the most literate nation in the world. Uh, there was a study published in 1812 by DuPont de Nemours called uh, Education in the United States of America. He found that not more than four in a thousand young Americans could not write legibly even neatly. Okay, if you compare that to today's data, the federal government itself will tell you that more than half of Americans are either functionally illiterate or in category two, so close to functionally illiterate that it's hard to tell the difference. So most Americans today are virtually incapable of reading. And that's according to the government's own data. This was deliberate. This was by design. Now, on, on the other front, the, the rote memorization, you know, the, I think there is a time and a place for memorizing certain things. You know, I, I think it, it is beneficial to the mind to memorize certain things like texts, like poetry, like Bible verses. Um, this trains the memory. It makes your mind sharp, uh, even the multiplication timetables. But there comes a point where instead of teaching children how to think, how to examine evidence, how to put different facts together and determine what is the truth, how to make a logical argument when you're just training them and, and to forcing them to memorize things that are not true, when you're teaching them what they ought to be thinking instead of how they ought to be thinking, that's where it becomes very problematic. And that, unfortunately, is what we have in the schools today. There is no effort to try to get children to examine evidence critically to understand what evidence is high quality and poor quality. Uh, primary source documents are almost gone from our public schools today. The kids in America's government schools today can easily go through 12 years never reading the Constitution, never reading the Declaration of Independence, never reading a single word out of the Bible, which of course was foundational to Western civilization and world history. Um, all, all they read is the interpretation of some goober that came out of a left-wing university. And so what happens? You end up with kids who have no understanding of how to think. They have no understanding of real history. All they know is the garbage that they were forced to memorize by an educational system designed to destroy them. And of course, that produces what we see today, a society in free fall. Very good. And um, like when I went to school, we start early in Ireland. I, I think Chris is probably the same. We were four when we started going to school. So you finish university kind of early, you know, like 20 or something like that. And in Poland, it used to be seven and now it's six. And I just see like we got loads of homework, unbelievable, like hours of homework. And I think that's to stop you being creative. And kind of what, what, what I'm doing now is my, my youngest child, he's uh, seven. They're copying, I'm living in Poland, they're copying the Finnish system. So it's a lot of creative stuff, no homework, no exams. And I mean, obviously you've studied this. So just like to know your thoughts on both of them things. Yeah, I, I think there are some real advantages to the Finnish system, but I also think there are some downsides. And, and ultimately, I think the Finnish system, unfortunately, just like the rest of the system around the world, uh, we're gradually merging all of these systems together under the leadership of the United Nations. And I mean, this is in my opinion, they are very open about this fact clear back since when they started UNESCO in the late 1940s after the World War II, uh, they have had as an objective the creation of a one world educational system. And so they'll still tolerate minor variations in the various systems, but ultimately they have as the objective harmonizing the educational system of the entire world. They've now come up with global sex education standards, for example, that would shock the conscience, even of the most liberal, progressive, uh, sexually liberated sexual revolutionaries. I mean, they wanna teach things to five-year-olds that wouldn't be appropriate to discuss in, in a strip club. I mean, it's, it's absolutely insane. Then you have, for example, the UN has what they call the World Core Curriculum. 
Uh, this was written by a madman by the name of Robert Mueller. He was the Assistant Secretary General of the United Nations. The UN said it ought to be taught in all the schools of the world. That's what Robert Mueller himself said. You could still read it on the UN's website. And he admits right in the foreword to the teacher's manual that it's based on the teachings of Alice Bailey, who, of course, was the founder of the Lucifer Publishing Company, who claimed to be in communication with these spiritual entities that she called Ascended Masters. So, yes, there are still some minor variations. There are some educational systems that are much better than others. And interestingly, America is down close to the bottom. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I, I would certainly say Poland, the Scandinavian countries. I mean, the Scandinavian countries are very heavy on the indoctrination, but at least they're teaching the children to read, right? At least they're teaching a phonics so that they can op go open a book and access the accumulated knowledge of humanity throughout thousands of years. So I, I would say, yeah, the Finnish system has some advantages over the American, uh, you know, industrialized, the dumbing down system. But I would say ultimately the government systems in all countries are terrible and getting worse. And that's true even in the places where there are still some vestiges of traditional education, even where there are still some elements of creativity. Uh, they're moving more and more toward a communistic model where uh, you know the kids have to do everything together. There's no individual initiative. There's no individual work. And that, that unfortunately, has been one of the hallmarks of the Scandinavian system. Um, I, I do like the idea of not giving homework. Um, you know, there is no reason why a child needs to be wrapped up in this stuff for eight to 10 hours a day. There's absolutely no reason. A good homeschooling family in America in two or three hours a day, their child will be way ahead of where the victims of the government schools are in every subject. Right? I've got an 11 year old and uh, my mother-in-law was really not pleased with the fact that we were homeschooling. She came out of the government school system in Scandinavia and then she saw his math. It's like, oh, my goodness, this kid is, is you know, he was, I think, nine years old at the time. He's doing 10th grade level math. How in the world did you do this? Right. Uh, well, we don't spend more than two or three hours a day on, on schooling. And it's because there's so much garbage. There's so much dumbing down. You can accomplish so much in just a fraction of the amount of time. So it's bad enough. You've got the kids in these so-called schools for six, seven hours a day, then to send them home and keep them doing this stuff. For me, it's ridiculous. It's unnecessary. A child does not need that. Definitely. And with this pandemic at the moment unfortunately i mean i agree with you i don't i don't want my child in a normal schooling system because i see how you know how we, you know the corruption is unbelievable but like no they're keeping a lot of the kids either making them wear a mask or they're actually keeping them at home and unfortunately they're using microsoft teams which run by bill gates again which you know it scares me because basically you know they're tracking the child without the parents even knowing and do you have any kind of not like I think you've kind of talked about Bill Gates before. So what he has connected with education. Yeah, uh, Bill Gates is, has been one of the most subversive influences in education as far back as I can remember. In fact, Bill Gates went over to UNESCO in 2004 and he signed an agreement with the UN Education Agency. And they agree. Bill Gates signed it with his own hand. You got the pictures of him with the head of UNESCO saying we're going to create global teaching standards. We're going to create global curricula, global syllabus. Uh, we're going to create global teacher training programs, and we're going to create a global technological system. Now, they didn't spell it out in the agreement, but clearly the reason for this global technological system is because they want to make a lot of money, A, and B, track every element of your child. Uh, already, the schools in America are collecting hundreds of data points on every child. Now that we're moving over to everything being on these devices, they're gathering millions of data points on every child. They've got facial expression cameras that monitor the, the students' responses to stimuli that are put on these devices. It, the stuff is a, 
you know, bad science fiction. And yet Bill Gates and, and a whole bunch of these other totalitarians in Silicon Valley are absolutely right at the heart of it. They are driving this. They are benefiting from this at the expense of your children, at the expense of your privacy, at the expense of human liberty. And what they're doing with this data is absolutely terrifying. They're not just accumulating it all. They are going to use it, first of all, to radically reshape your child's views, behavior, attitudes. And that's one of the main purposes. So they're collecting data on the responses of children, the beliefs of children to determine when they need an intervention. And this isn't me talking. I've got all the U.S. Department of Education reports. I've got the, the reports from all these organizations involved in education. They admit they're proud that they're doing this. They're shifting what they call the affective domain, which is your emotions, your your views, your attitudes, things like this. So they're getting this data. And just to give a, a hypothetical example, let's say they've decided that they want all children to believe X, uh, that open borders are good, or that homosexuality is wonderful, or uh, that abortion should be safe, legal, and funded by taxpayers. Everywhere. So they pick the policy outcome that they want. What do we want all the children to believe? And then that becomes the benchmark. So they use their data gathering mechanisms to figure out what does the child believe now? Okay, he believes this. That means we need to do this intervention to get him to believe what we want. This is happening right now. This is not something coming in the future. It's happening right now under the guise of social emotional learning. Again, go read their documents. They're crystal clear about this. Another thing that they're doing is they're trying to perfect the central planning system. Uh, a lot of these totalitarians, they believe that the reason the centrally planned economies and societies of the last century failed was because they didn't have access to enough data. Now they believe, well, hey, now we have all this data about each individual. We know what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, what their skills are, what their attitudes and beliefs are, so we can route them to the appropriate area. If this one's going to be a good engineer, then we can put this one on a career track to be an engineer. If this one's going to be a, a conservative, a Christian, a libertarian who's not going to go along with whatever it is that we're trying to promote on the global stage, well, then that one, we're not going to allow him to become a lawyer or a journalist or a, or a teacher or any kind of position where they might be in a position to influence other people. So maybe they'll steer that one to a bartender or, uh, or janitor or, you know, something like that. Not that there's anything wrong with those, but they're, they're creating this mechanism now to sort through the different children, to put them where they think they will best serve the technocratic Borg that is being built. Uh, this is already well underway in places like communist China. It is coming to America. It's in the process of being rolled out. And if you value individual freedom, if you value individual agency, if you value freedom of conscience, if you value diversity of opinion, all of these things are going to be absolutely run over by this machine that is now being imposed on humanity, primarily through the educational system. Definitely. Just finally, before I pass you over to Steve, being a journalist exposing all the corruption and everything, how does it feel for you looking at other journalists? I would say probably 99% who are lying and just going <laughs> along with the agenda. Oh man. I, you know, I, I always have to apologize when someone asks me like, so what do you do for a living? So well, I'm, I'm a journalist, but I'm not one of those journalists. You know, I'm, I'm not one of the lying, dishonest propaganda <laughs> hacks that works for the establishment to, to spread lies to humanity. You always have to say that because, you know, nowadays you tell people you're a journalist, like, ooh, get away from me. Right? And you can't blame them. Uh, journalism has become a disgrace. It, it's, dis it, it's, it's nasty. It's horrible. And so it pains me greatly to see this. Um, I knew this was coming. Uh, you know, when I was in journalism school at the, at the University of Florida back in 2008, more or less. 
Uh, it was very obvious to me the direction that this was going. It was already dominated by people who who fall, you know, if you put a political spectrum, no government and total government, uh, who it was dominated by people who fall on the total government end of the spectrum, whether they be socialist, fascist, communist, you know, pick your totalitarian ideology. But now it's, you know, at, at least there was a sense of, but you kind of got to tell the truth. Okay. Yeah. You, you can promote your stuff. You can parrot the government's line, but you know, you still have to kind of tell the truth. Now there's no pretense. Now they're just shameless, naked propagandists. And so I think we probably need uh, a new term to differentiate between people who are actually trying to tell the truth, people who are trying to educate their fellow human beings with information that is accurate, that is useful, that, that is beneficial to mankind versus what we today call journalists who are just shameless propagandist for a wicked system of evil. Um, and uh, yeah, I, th I think we need to create a clear differentiation. And, and I can understand why people are appalled when they hear that somebody's a journalist. I don't blame them. I feel the same way. So, <laughs> Okay. Uh, thank you very much, Alex. I'll just pass you over to Steve. Thank you, Roy. Wow. So this is amazing because um, I stumbled across Charlotte Iserbit, and she wrote the book, The Deliberate Dumbing Down of America. And your book is your book uh, is Crimes of the Educators, how utopians are using government schools to destroy American children. And when I came across Charlotte, I was I had already been down the rabbit hole. But when I heard her say, and she was the I think she was the Secretary of Education under Reagan or something like that. Or so she was involved in the education system under Reagan. And I remember her saying our education system in America is based on the Prussian or Russian thing. We're working with the Russians and, you know, and I thought she was kind of nuts. And then I could never figure it out. But in, a, in an interview you did, you mentioned Robert Owens, who was a Marxist, who created this commune in Indiana. And he had this idea that for the government to take over the education and he died in, I think, uh, 1858. So he's long gone. But my point is what you what you demonstrated is that you know, we all know this is not something that's happening overnight. But when people who aren't haven't awoken have this inability to say you're crazy Marxism in America, you know, you're nuts. Like they're not Marxist. But the whole infiltration we know with the New World Order from a top down military compartmentalized method is Marxist, Nazism, Luciferian all in one. So where I'm going with this is can you sort of explain the Robert Owen, the Prussian thing. And and yes, our education system here is based on maybe Prussian or Robert Owen, but a Marxist satanic influence. Yeah, thank you. And and I nail on the head right there. Uh, Charlotte Iserbit, I should start off by saying, is a, is a good friend of mine. I love Charlotte. She's amazing. Uh, she was the senior advisor on education under the Reagan administration. And uh, what happened when she got to Washington, D.C., she starts pulling up all these documents like, Wait a minute! They're they're merging America's school system with the Soviet school. System? That doesn't sound like a good idea. So she starts leaking these documents. I've actually got a copy of her book right there, "The Deliberate Dumbing Down of America." Awesome. A phenomenally important book. It's got the you know the actual documents. You can read them and see them for yourself. Uh, this was the plan. And what Charlotte Iserbit stumbled across and then dedicated her life to exposing was something that actually had been started long before. You brought up Robert Owen. I really view Robert Owen as the the man who more than anyone else was responsible for the government takeover of education, not just in America, but ultimately in the world. Okay. So 
before Robert Owen, the last guy that we can find that seriously proposed government controlling education was actually Plato. And, you know, a lot of people like to sound so sophisticated by acting like Plato is this great philosopher. The guy was a, a raging totalitarian. He wanted us to be ruled by philosopher kings for our own benefit. And he thought if the government could educate or brainwash the children, then it would make the citizenry more compliant so that the wonderful philosopher kings who would rule us for our own benefit could, could rule us in a better way. Uh, it's ludicrous. It's disgusting. It, it's absolutely contrary to everything that a human being uh, who values liberty can accept. And so we really didn't hear the idea that government would educate children would have sounded absolutely bonkers to anybody on planet Earth for essentially all of recorded human history. Right? If you had asked somebody in in France, you know, 500 years ago, if you had asked somebody in Sweden 800 years ago, if you had asked somebody in Bulgaria a uh, thousand years ago, if you had asked somebody in Greece. Uh, you know, 500 years after Christ, should the government educate your children? They would have laughed at you. They would have said, what kind of stupid, crazy idea is that? The yeah. government's job is to keep us safe from invasion and protect our private property rights and to make sure nobody kills us. And if someone does do those things to us, that they are punished. That's what a government is for. Um, and yet Robert Owen comes along early 1800s. And, and the guy, I mean, he just totally rejects the basic foundations of Western civilization, the basic biblical principles of a free society. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not murder. Uh, you know, if you don't work, you don't need just basic, basic principles that everybody uh, heretofore had accepted as common sense and obvious and self-evident. Uh, and he says, no, 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 no. What we really should do is get rid of private property. We should get rid of the family. I mean, just crazy bonkers ideas. And so he sets up this commune to show how great these ideas would be. He calls it New Harmony. It's, it's in Indiana. This was in the early 1800s. Uh, it didn't take a full two years for this entire idiotic experiment to collapse in ruins because it was idiotic, because it, it rejects the fundamental principles of basic human organization and human nature. So it failed. And Robert Owen, um, and, and mind you, this was long before Karl Marx scribbled his nonsense uh, under the inspiration, I, I think is very clear, of Satan. Read the book Marx and Satan if you want to know where this stuff comes from. So long before Marx even came along, he says, hey, we need the government to, to shape the minds of the children to make it possible for this system to work. And so he proposed, literally, that the government take over education, that government start educating children from the age of two on, that they be separated from their families so that they could be shaped into good little collectivists. He said, the reason my experiment failed is because these kids are being brought up by their parents, they're being brought up to be uh, individualistic, and they just can't conceive of a world where they're working for everybody instead of for themselves. So. He proposes this idea and it goes over like a lead balloon, right? Why, why would we let the government educate our kids? Our kids are phenomenally well educated. They can read, they can think. Uh, here we are, the most prosperous nation in the world history where all these advances, I mean, we're just amazing. Why would we change anything? So he sets up a secret society, believe it or not. And, you know, it's not a conspiracy theory. This is a documented fact. He says you know the name uh, of the secret society. I don't know that it had a name. Uh, but we know of its existence because one of the members of this secret society, his name was Orestes Brownson. Um, he came to Christ. He became a Christian. And he realized, oh, my goodness, this is evil. I have to tell people what's happening here. And so he wrote this whole book on it it's called uh, Liberal Orations. And there's a, a big, long subtitle. And, and he blows the whistle on the secret society. He says, I know of this secret society because I was organizing the, the movement in uh, upstate New York. So, so that's how I know. We had organized a considerable portion of New York. I know because I was involved in it. So he says there were two uh, superficial goals of this secret society. And by the way, he said it was modeled on the Carbonari of Europe, the, of Italy, this diabolical, wicked, wicked organization that was determined to destroy all religion, all nations, private property, very communistic. 
So it was modeled on this, right? You got concentric circles of influence. The ones on the outer side of it don't really understand what's going on in the core. So sets up this diabolical secret society with the superficial goals of having uh, uh, men elected to legislatures who would support a government takeover of education, which again, at the time, that was a very radical idea. Today, you tell people the government educates kids. Oh, yeah, of course. That's what we've always done. But back then, that was an extremely radical proposition. And so to help accomplish that, they said these this secret society would also work to shift public opinion in favor of a government takeover of education. So they were working like termites. And their first major success came in Massachusetts. Uh, well, I should back up a little bit. So he wrote these essays on why the government should control education. He said, you know, the government will be able to shape uh, the minds of the citizenry. It'll be the best ruled state in the world if, if we can properly educate all these kids by the government. And so this didn't take off in America. But these essays were picked up by the Prussian ambassador who took them back to Prussia. And the Prussian uh, dictator ordered his interior minister to implement these recommendations. They literally set up the first government school system in human history. And of course, the objective from the beginning was statism, right? Education of the state, by the state, for the state. And, you know, from that sense, it, it was very effective. It created a bunch of little statist zombies who were ready and willing to do whatever their dictator ordered them to do. Uh, parents were ordered to hand over their kids to this machinery. Uh, it was a disaster, right? And, and I mean, we saw what happened there. It didn't take too long before Germany started losing its mind, invading its neighbors, goose-stepping, putting people in camps. I mean, you know the drill. Um, and, and I think the government school system was a critical component of what happened with Germany uh, in the 20th century. I, I don't think any of this madness would have been possible if the government had not taken over the education of children. So anyways, the Prussian dictatorship implements this in Prussia. And then in, in uh, Massachusetts, a guy by the name of Horace Mann, backed by a very wealthy, influential group of individuals, primarily uh, centered around Harvard University. These were people that uh, had rejected the Bible, had rejected uh, various truths that had been accepted basically as common knowledge, as self-evident truths, as our founding fathers said, uh, from the time of, of the earliest uh, settlers arriving in America. And they said, hey, let's do this in Massachusetts. So they went to the legislature and man had actually served in the legislature. He had a lot of friends and contacts there. And they said, we're going to create a position of secretary of education for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. We're going to use the Prussian model and we're going to create state normal schools, they call them, where they, the government would then educate the teachers who would educate the students. Now, they didn't come out outright and destroy all the private options. They didn't force parents to hand their children over, but they did create the, the nucleus for what, from what the, from which the government education system system would grow. Right away, it was a disaster. And uh, and that really is the history of government school. It, it runs, I mean, every critical figure in the emergence of government schools in America, and then ultimately around the world was somebody who rejected God, who rejected the Bible, who rejected individual liberty, and who had nefarious purposes in mind. And then, of course, we get John Dewey, who we talked about earlier, uh, who was very open about the fact that he wanted to use the school system to collectivize the youth, to get them thinking in communist terms, uh, and incidentally, to get them to adopt his false religion, which he called uh, humanism. Religious humanism is what he called it. So uh, they've been very successful from that point of view. And that's why I say, Steve, when people argue that the public education system is broken, I say, no, 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 you don't understand. We got to use the correct terminology here. Not only is the school system not broken, it's working perfectly. If you understand 
why it was created and what the people who created it had in mind. It's working perfectly. Yeah, there are some kids, again, who slipped through the cracks, cracks, but the overwhelming majority of the kids who spent 12 years in one of these indoctrination centers will come out believing what they want them to believe, rejecting what they want them to reject, and really being prepared for this emerging one world order that they are trying to build. Yeah. Well, and just like with this pandemic, it, I always tell people it's not supposed to make sense. <laughs> right. You know, you know, tests aren't supposed to test. You know, vaccines aren't supposed to vaccinate. That, that's the point. That's what they want. Right. So it's just more of the same. You know, and the key word you said with uh, Robert Owen, he wanted government to control the minds of the children. And that's, you know, that's like and this guy died in 1858. So, you know, this is a slow burn, this Marxist infiltration, this new world order, this control. And I mean, you know, here we are in in, you know, what, 2021 and the book in 1931, The Brave New World was talking about a world where, you know, women don't men and women do not um, procreate. The babies are born in test tubes and they're different levels of state indoctrination for that child. And they have certain, uh, you know, places in society based on their state indoctrination. And they're, you know, there's no more family. And this is, I, you know, scarily probably where they, they want to take us. Um, yeah, Steve, let me stop you just for one second. Okay. I want to throw out a fun fact. The very first head of UNESCO, the UN's education agency, was Aldous Huxley's brother, Julian Huxley. And Julian Huxley believed exactly those things. He was the head of the British Humanist Association. He also, incidentally, was the head of the British Eugenics Society, these kooks that believe this racial pseudoscience that some races are better than other races and we should selectively breed people to, I mean, absolutely bonkers. And he believed in a one world government. He believed in using the education system to bring this about. And he said all of this openly. So right from the very beginning, the these efforts have been designed and, and engineered to lead us down the path of creating a world very much along the lines of what Aldous Huxley wrote about in Brave New World. You smash the family, you create a one world system. It's totally regimented. A at least in Brave New World, there were savage reservations. And you know what, if they'll let me and my family live out the rest of our days in a savage reservation, uh, you know, maybe we can call a truce and you know, you stay over there, we'll stay over here. But I, I don't don't believe these people will allow us to live in savage reservations. I think they fully intend to absorb or eliminate every last human being on this planet, including every last indigenous person in the Amazon rainforest and in the heart of Central Africa. I don't believe they will allow a single human being to escape this net if they can avoid it. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, it's, you know, it, it we're we're basically uh, at a crazy time when this is why uh, it's it's you know part of the indoctrination and part of the dumbing down of uh, of human beings through this education process is a short attention span so you know you, even you, people can't they're they're basically part of the program is they they can't see the truth even if they hear it so and that's another frustration i just want to read a a, a couple of uh headlines Cambridge University holds a conference. Pedophilia is natural and normal for males. NAMBLA, the North American Man-Boy Love Association, is fighting legislation to make, um, you know, uh, what, sex with men and young boys legal and normal. And this is all part of it, right? 
That, it's absolutely a part of it. And they are now out of the closet on this agenda. Uh, I, I've got a video in, in the state of California. So in 2016, the state of California passed a new LGBT law where all children in government brainwash camps would have to learn about the wonders and glories of LGBTism and the history of that. And, um, and somebody sent me the curriculum that they were using in the Brea Olinda School District. They had a PowerPoint presentation. And so, you know, they go through the history. They praise uh, Harvey Milk, the child rapist, who uh, actually some of his victims went on to commit suicide. And then they get to ancient Greece and they say, well, yeah, in ancient Greece, it was just totally normal for men to have uh, lots of sex with young boys. And, you know, they just pass right over it. And so this mom, a uh, wonderful lady, Stephanie Yates, uh, she founded Informed Parents of California. I've got the video of this. You can find it on my YouTube channel. It's Liberty Sentinel. Uh, she confronts the assistant super superintendent of curricula says what's wrong with you people why are you teaching my children pedophilia i mean have you lost your minds and the late the, the assistant superintendent her name is carrie torres she responds and she says look this is a different sexual orientation that's existed in history and so it's really important that we teach this to your children now is now you need like the record stop noise right like, what yeah. you're teaching our children that raping children is a sexual orientation and, and then project the lines right in California, it was already against the law to discriminate against someone based on their so-called sexual orientation. Uh, now that's against the fake law passed by the pretend judges on the Supreme court in all 50 States. They said, you can't discriminate against someone based on their sexual orientation. And so, you know, we, we recognize as normal, sane, civilized human beings that putting a pedophile in charge of a kindergarten or a pedophile in charge of a Sunday school ministry would be insane, that it would be criminal, that it would be outrageous. But what happens when these little kids who've been brainwashed from the time they were in school to believe that raping children is a different sexual orientation, what happens when they become adults? But you can't discriminate against that pedophile just because he's got a different sexual orientation from you. Who do you think you are? Right? And so we recognize that's crazy. But our children coming up behind us who are being brainwashed to believe this nonsense, they not only won't recognize that as crazy, they'll say, you can't discriminate. Come on. It's just a guy. And, and now it's on CNN. It's you know multiple major publications, Slate and Salon have been peddling this crazy idea that pedophilia is a sexual orientation. It's crazy and it's evil. Yeah. But here's the thing, Alex, just like the education system is working perfectly, they, they want debauchery. They want inversion. They yep. want this. This is the, the world that they envision, a world that is totally luciferic and in, insanely perverted. Bingo. That's exactly what they want. And, um, they are, I think at this point, they're out of the closet now. You know, they used to say, oh, you guys are conspiracy theory. We don't want those things. Now they're like, hey, you're, you're a bad person. If you don't agree with us, <laughs> this is what we need. Uh, yeah. It's just amazing how the mask has dropped. And so now's the time for humanity to say, look, either we're not going to tolerate that and you folks are going to jail. That's crazy. Or I guess we'll submit, um, you know, let evil reign on this planet. That, that's where we are right now in human yeah. history. Uh, there's a few things that before I pass you to Chris. I mean, you know what amazes me? I heard this term diversity manager, and I just couldn't believe that like, <laughs> and that people don't think this is insane. You know, but this is part of my marvel at their, in some ways, they're cowards, and they use the same plan over and over. But in some ways, the, I marvel at the compartmentalization and military execution on a global scale of how every school We'll start executing, you know, like here's one Houston drag queen story time program where a, a man dressed as a woman with lipstick and hair and a dress is reading stories to kindergartens. Right. Like it's just it's so insidious. But, you know, they they've infiltrated every aspect, every nook and cranny of 
every society, every every aspect of this world. And that's how they do it. And people can't get their hands around it. I mean, the last thing I'll say is, um, you know, in the, it wasn't Spanish because it didn't start in Spain, but in the 1918 pandemic, uh, that which was probably a pandemic, uh, you know, Bill Gates' grandfather was a medical doctor giving injections of what you would call a vaccine with a meningitis into soldiers. So that's Bill Gates' grandfather. His father was the, on the board of Planned Parenthood, okay, which was a covert eu eugenics operation. And here he is, you know, it's generational. This 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 perversion and inversion is is generational. So for the people that can see it, it makes total sense and they're getting exactly they want this, you know. And that's the frustration. I'm kind of talking in a circle, but I think you know what I'm where I'm going. Absolutely. And I think you're you're hitting the nail on the head. And and I really don't think this agenda can be understood without understanding what you just explained. I mean, we are literally now coming face to face with evil. These aren't just well-intentioned people with bad ideas. These aren't just people who believe in a different way that might be better to organize humanity. These are people who are just downright, absolutely wicked who, if they were left to their own devices, would slaughter and enslave every human being on this planet, would destroy everything that is good about life, about humanity, about the earth. And uh, they must absolutely be opposed and exposed and restrained, or the consequences will be horrific beyond anything we can imagine. I mean, we thought Nazi Germany was bad. We thought Soviet Russia was bad. We thought communist China was bad. Wait until these people have unchecked global authority and there is nobody left to resist. The evil that will spread across this planet is beyond anything that you can even conceive of. And so, guys, it's now the time to stand up and say, no, we're not going to tolerate it. Um, the stakes are that high. And, you know, we, we live in an era now where if we can turn the tide and, and, and stop these people, we really can have an incredible, wonderful age of uh, human freedom and, and well-being and prosperity. Uh, but if these Luciferian lunatics get their way, uh, it will be a disaster. So it, it's time for everybody who's been sitting on the sidelines, hoping the alligator would eat them last. You got to realize uh, the alligator is going to eat you no matter what. And even for the people who might be watching this, who are maybe somehow involved in this, who think that, well, if I cooperate, it'll it'll go well for me. They're going to give me lots of money or whatever. Don't be an idiot, okay? Don't be an idiot. These people have absolutely no loyalty, even to their own people. Of, of, the, of the top uh, few dozen individuals, the top 30-something individuals who created the Communist International, the Comintern, uh, four of them died a natural death. Most of them were executed in purges by Stalin and other communist maniacs. Leon Trotsky died with an ice pick in the side of his head, folks. They will get you too, whether you cooperate and help them or not. There is no honor among thieves. There is certainly no honor among genocidal Luciferian mass murderers. And you will not come out on uh, come out ahead by cooperating or by remaining silent. This is something that concerns everyone. And so if you somehow got caught up with this, involved with this somehow, now would be a good time to repent and join the resistance. I like it. I like it. There's always there's always redemption. There's always Absolutely. redemption. And I love the I love the way you speak and I love your your tone. I mean, you're immediately for me, I get it when you speak and you speak at a great speed, you know, and you get it out. So you're like Clay Clark. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I but, appreciate uh, that. But uh, fantastic having you. Thanks for everything you're doing. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again. And here's Chris. Thank you, sir. Alex, wow. Where do I go from here? Um, I think the two boys have just taken all my questions and then you've answered everything in, in that. <laughs> um, 
I wanted to talk a small bit. I mean, I love the dot connecting. You've already I had lots of dot connecting questions. I love all, all that history stuff. It really fascinates me and how they're linked in with the secret societies. You touched on the New World Order, the Rockefellers, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I love all that, and we could probably talk for hours and hours on that itself. Um, I've been to America many times, love the country and all that as well. And every time Mobler, it's always a talk of homeschooling, which any country I'm in, either I'm living in England, I've lived in Australia, New Zealand, different countries as well, or be it back in Ireland, it's almost unheard of for any of your kids to be homeschooled. So for me, it's like America is like the king of the homeschooling from what I know of. So my question in all this is because the more and more this, so we call it pandemic, whatever we want, word we want to put in that we can, you know, that's a different, that's a whole other podcast to go down that route on it. But I was recently just at um, at a common law um, convention there on, on Sunday for an all day. And the amount of parents that I met at it, I think there was about one out of 250 that I attended. I didn't talk to the 250, but I talked to quite a few and was on the door and I was doing a, a few different things with tickets and all that as well, coming in the entry and all that. And um, every everyone pretty much that I spoke to for the first time ever that I hear this conversation going around in a long time anyway, is saying our kids are coming out of school in September. The main reason is this mightn't have happened in the same circumstance, but because, of course, this uh, this inoculation of debt, shall we call it, is coming for the, for the kids more and more down the line, of course. So they know Boris Johnson, the parasite that he is over here, he's told, you know, pretty much this is what's coming down the line, like it or lump it, because it was always that kind of way, like Steve touched there, and it's like the, the frog in the pot situation, that slow kind of burn, you know, just two or three weeks to flatten the curve and just wear a mask, just get one, just get two, just get the boosters, et cetera, et cetera, see where I'm going with all this. My question really is on it, and how how much of an of a what's the infiltration? But how much for you in America alone, and maybe you can't speak for the rest of the world, but maybe you have contacts elsewhere that can from what you're talking about in the background as well. How much of a push is there now more than ever of the homeschooling, be it in America or globally, that you know of, especially since this pandemic has actually you know it took took on took its scene there about eighteen months ago. Or so how much is there more of a push to basically take the kids? out of the indoctrination system, shall we say, and, and back home into, into homeschooling. Well, thank you, Chris. Um, what we have observed here in the United States is what uh, Satan meant for evil, God is using for good. Uh, the homeschooling situation has never been brighter in America uh, since at least back before we had a government school system. Uh, according to our Census Bureau, they collect you know data on population and things like this. The number of homeschooled uh, families, so families with school-aged children who are now educating their children at home, not in a private school, not in a government school, has now more than doubled just in the last year. Uh, we went from about 6% of the population uh, of, of the homeschool or the, of the families with school-aged children that were homeschooling to now about 12%. Uh, in my state of Florida, and and boy, do I thank God that I live in the great state of Florida. We have been uh, probably, with the possible exception of Sweden, the freest jurisdiction when it comes to resisting the madness of this pandemic. And here in Florida, to give you some sense, we have 20% of families with school-aged children are now homeschooling. That's one in five. And then when you realize that homeschool families on average are significantly larger than government school families, you know, the homeschool families that we know, they've got four, five, eight, sometimes 10 children who are being homeschooled, you realize that it's probably more than one fourth of all the children in the state of Florida now are being educated at home. This is far higher than it was before the uh, COVID pandemic. Uh, in Alaska, they're almost up at a third of all children now are being homeschooled. So we see this incredible exodus from the schools. Uh, when I started telling people years ago that uh, you should 
really, really consider taking your kids out of the brainwash camps. Well, you know, that's that's kind of extreme. And, you know, are, are we really ever going to get all the parents to get their kids? We don't need to get them all. We need to save the ones that we can. And now the tide has really shifted. OK, let me give you some some obvious examples. Uh, Rush Limbaugh, uh, the king of talk radio here in America. I don't know if people overseas know him as well as people here in America, but he had 18 million listeners per day to his radio show. And I disagree with him on plenty of things. You know, I, I don't think he was able to get that large of an audience by constantly telling the truth. But he said three times in the year before he died, folks, you've got to get your children out of school. You've got to protect your children from this brainwashing. Biggest talk radio host in all of America without even having a close second. Uh, we had uh, Franklin Graham, uh, one of the most significant evangelical leaders in the world. And I have some pretty big disagreements with him too. Right now he's been promoting this crazy uh, inoculation this crazy injection. So I, I have serious disagreements with him. But he also said a couple of years ago, folks, you've got to get your children out of the public schools. President Donald Trump, uh, who I believe won the 2020 election, hands down, no question, uh, said the same thing three times in his last year in office. He said, we've got to protect our children from the indoctrination in these government schools. He said, the reason our, our cities are burning is because our children are being indoctrinated and weaponized uh, against us in these public schools. So the tide has turned. It is turning. There is a scramble for the exits. And, you know, we, we're seeing now, of course, the backlash to that. We're seeing the establishment whining. They want to ban homeschooling. They want to criminalize homeschooling. Uh, the Swedes uh, followed Adolf Hitler's footsteps. You know, Adolf Hitler was the first leader in all of human history to make it a crime for parents to homeschool their children. Never before had that happened in history. Adolf Hitler led the way um, after the denazification of Germany after World War II. Uh, that's one of the laws that they didn't repeal. Right, So they still have this Nazi era ban on homeschooling on the books in Germany. So now the Swedes have followed suit. Now the French have followed suit. Now the Portuguese are trying to follow suit. And of course, the communist dictatorships, right? The, the communist Chinese, communist North Koreans, the communist Cubans, they won't let you educate your kids at home. So it's it's a wonderful thing that's happening now. Awareness is spreading. Uh, actually, back in 2012, uh, I was living in Sweden at the time and we were fighting the homeschool ban there. I went to the uh, Global Home Education Conference, the first ever global home education conference. It took place in uh, Berlin. Uh, we went to Berlin, of course, to stand in solidarity with German homeschoolers who were being ruthlessly persecuted by the totalitarians there. Uh, families destroyed, children taken from their homes by the social services just because of homeschooling. So the, the homeschooling, I would say, is one of the brightest spots on the educational horizon. Uh, we see this happening all over the world. I, I have really good news from Sweden, too. It was a very small homeschool community. But when the government banned home education back in uh, 2011, I think it went into force in 2012, they didn't get one additional victim in their brainwash camps. Every single homeschool family that we know of that was part of the Homeschool Association fled from Sweden or went underground. So they went to Finland. They went to Norway. They went to Denmark. They went to America to Canada, to France, whatever, to get away from the totalitarians. And not one new child was enrolled in a government brainwash camp as a result. So once parents try homeschooling, and, and a lot of that happened during the pandemic, you know, parents said, well, hey, let's just, you know, try out homeschooling. I don't want to do this dumb government school at home with a computer. Let's just try real homeschooling. Once they try, it's not like, oh, well, you know, we didn't really like that. Let's send our kid back to be indoctrinated. Uh, what happens is the family comes together. Uh, wonderful things begin to happen in the home. The children become more educated, more knowledgeable, more kind, more respectful. Uh, it brings a family together like nothing else. And, and those families don't go back. Um, I, I've never met a family that said, 
you know, I really wish we hadn't homeschooled. <laughs> it's just, it, it, there's no such thing. I, I've never heard of a family that said that. And so, um, you know, praise God, great things are happening on that front. I think this is just the beginning. And that's why the totalitarians are freaking out. And now they're having conferences on how we need to ban homeschooling. Uh, they're probably looking for the perfect incident, maybe even a false flag if necessary, to demonize homeschoolers. They're going to wait for that one in a million families that, uh, you know, the child didn't do well, or maybe the child was abused. Never mind the millions of children being abused in government schools. They'll find that one homeschool family that used homeschool as a cover for, for bad things, and they'll put that on the front page of every newspaper in the world. So, so that's coming, but great things are happening, Chris. I'm thrilled with the progress that we're making, and everywhere I go, just like you, I've, I've never seen such enthusiasm about getting children out of the public schools and into the safe sanctuary of home education. Yeah, I totally agree. And um, it's amazing that um, that increase has, you know, jumped dramatically in the last, say, 12 to 18 months. Um, and I think it's fascinating as well. Also, what you said is because it's very key to, you know, you just touched on a minute or two ago as about a family, of course, that happy families. And like you said, that nobody has said once they started homeschooling ever said, actually, you know what, I want to give the I want to give the kid back because, you know, which is an amazing stat in itself. But of course, we know these uh, these uh, the New World Order itself in the background at all costs down through the centuries is they want the whole divide and conquer tactic and especially in the family. So by all means, they criminalize wherever they can be to not have the child at home. And as you say, pick that one in a million case that the media Silicon Valley will blow right across the world and say, see, I told you, see, I told you. And of course, the, it takes the perception of the mind again. And once you take the perception of the mind, well, you, you control basically um, a human um, where they walk and where they move and what your next step is going out of the door that day. But I think what's actually crucial is, I know our time is limited, you touched on earlier as well, because for the people I've met, let's say a lot of people recently now who are doing the, the homeschooling and I just started that. There's a lot of people I know that have, they want to, but they've, like you, they've heard all the excuses that, you know, over the last 10 years, I don't need to repeat them all. But the things are like, well, I've got a very stressful job. The wife is working, the husband is working, we're trying to make ends meet, we just have enough week to week, et cetera, et cetera. The, the point I'm trying to get to here is basically is that they believe in their head, which I think is crucially mentioned earlier, that they believe that they have to do this sort of a, a six to eight hour day. So they're thinking, well, if I go home at five in the evening, make dinners, do baths, do showers, and then I start into like homeschooling the child or how am I going to work? I'll be there till midnight and then do the homework and what if we can't get to and we're tired after our jobs. I think the key element you touched on there is, is the realization of that. You, they've seen indoctrination in their mind. It must be a set six to eight hours at all costs. Must be Monday to Friday, and it must be a couple of hours homework afterwards. And that alone makes the, the head turn around. And go, do you know what? I don't even think I look into it further. But as you touched on earlier, which is crucial, is two to three hours kind of tops. Could you, in the, just in a couple of minutes or so that we've left? Can you break it down a small bit just to give parents out there an idea as to like, okay, we know there's a lot of dumbing down indoctrination and some of them actually aren't even aware of that or that they can't, still can't see the forest and the trees. But how they'll think in their mind is how can we condense, say, the average eight hour down to two or three hours and still come up with the same quality um, outcome? Excellent question, Chris. Thank you for that. And uh, I, I think the real simple answer, you you touched on it. You don't need to brainwash a child for six to eight hours to teach them the truth, to teach them how to think, to give them the tools to educate themselves. The reason you need a child for six to eight hours every day is if you want to teach them lies and you want to brainwash them and you want them to believe idiocy that no normal human would believe without six to eight hours of brainwashing a day. So uh, for the parents out there who think it, it's an overwhelming task, uh, you know, my wife and I thought that until we tried it, try it. And what then you what you will find is that it is far easier than you ever imagined. There is nobody more qualified to educate your children than you, right? 
God gave those children to you for a reason. He didn't give them to the government for a reason, okay? There's nobody on planet Earth that loves your children more than you love them, period, end of discussion. There's not one additional person on this planet that loves a child more than his or her parents love him or her, period, simple, end of discussion. And that is the main ingredient in a good education. Uh, does the person who's doing the teaching truly love and value and appreciate and understand that child? There's nobody who meets that criteria better than a parent. Now, for those situations where, you know, maybe mom and dad do have to both work, and I think that's really a misnomer, it's a misunderstanding. Um, you know, I, I don't earn a lot of money. I'll be the first to say I, I earn actually very little money, uh, and yet my wife stays home, and we find a way to do it. Yeah, our, we drive really old cars. My truck is from 2004. It's got 175,000 miles, but guess what? It runs, and it gets me from point A to point B. I live in a small house. That's okay. I don't need a big house, right? We've got love in our home. That's far more important than having a lot of square feet. Um, you know, we don't buy new clothes very often. We go to the second hand shop. You find ways to make it work. Yeah, we eat rice and beans for dinner sometimes, and we don't go out to fancy steakhouses for, for big expensive meals. But you know what? I wouldn't trade it for the world. There's nothing more valuable to me than the well-being of my kid. I don't need a 2020 BMW or Mercedes in my driveway. Okay, I can live without those things. What I can't live with is losing my children to lies, to evil, to propaganda. That for me is beyond the pale. Uh, and so for those who really don't have much time, uh, it's, it's interesting that you asked that because my wife and I were just talking about it this morning. We just ordered in the mail for the first time ever. So this is experiment for us too. But there's a curriculum created by Dr. Robinson. Wonderful, interesting story. Uh, he was a, a scientist. His wife passed away and his wife was, was you know, honestly, most of the time, mothers will handle the bulk of the instruction. Fathers need to be in Involved, they must be involved. But generally speaking, mothers will handle the bulk of that. And so his wife died and he was not willing to hand his children over to the government for brainwashing. So he developed a curriculum where the children could basically do the education themselves. They would get a reading list. They could choose you know, certain things. Every day they're required to do X amount of reading and then they're required to write an essay about it. They're required to do, I think about an hour or so of math each day. They got to go through the problems. And this is something that really the child does by himself or by herself. The parent comes home after work or whatever, checks it out. It looks good. Okay, we're good. And what we have seen from the children who have gone through this uh, Dr. Robinson's children are a good example. All four of them went on to get PhDs in the hard sciences. Okay. Uh, so it works. You don't need to be, you know, hovering over your children all day, every day. Uh, honestly, most parents couldn't do that and, and wouldn't want to do that because that's not really how an education should go. Uh, the basics you can do very quickly. Uh, I, I taught, my wife and I taught each of our children to read uh, before age five in a matter of a couple months with a very simple tool. You can download it from the internet. It's called Alpha Phonic, uh, created by Dr. Sam Blumenfeld, phenomenal idiot proof tool. And once your children can read, uh, a lot of the education they can do for themselves, right? Just teach them the tools, give them the tools to educate themselves and they can handle a lot of it. Uh, for more ideas, for curriculum, for things that we've vetted, you can go to our website. I'm the executive director of an organization called Public School Exit. You can find us online at publicschoolexit.com. Uh, and we've got all kinds of resources there. We can point you in the direction of different curricula, depending on what works best for your family. But there's so much freedom. Um, you know, if, if, if you want to go on a trip, you know, and you're a homeschooler, just load the kids up in the car. We can do homeschool. Uh, we did homeschooling driving through Europe multiple times. We went through 50 countries and we did history and geography and uh, languages. I mean, it's just the, the opportunities, the freedom is endless. It'll bring your family in a way, together in a way that you could have never even imagined possible. 
and your children will be happier, healthier, and far better educated as a result. The data proves it. Uh, it's out there, National Home Education Research Institute. And um, yeah, I mean, if we had more time, I could go on and on and on, but I think people will get the point. So, <laughs> Yeah, no, no, thanks for your time. I say I want to be respectful of it. So in the few minutes we have left, I'll let Grace round it out. But uh, yeah, brilliant. Um, loved it. And uh, thanks a lot. I just hope to talk to you again. Thank you so much, guys. If, just briefly, if you could respond to that, just for a few, some of your thoughts about it. Yeah, I, I, I saw the video. Actually, I, I like 10 people sent it to me on the Stu Peters show. Uh, so I finally, you know, when 10 people send me something, I, I, I sit up and pay attention. I saw that video. Uh, I have not verified all the information myself, so I, I probably can't comment responsibly. But I will say that if that's what happened in court, uh, you know, if we got the whole story, then amazing, excellent, wonderful. Uh, I've said all along, we've got to litigate these things. Unfortunately, honest and fair judges are an endangered species now across the Western world. But but, uh, hey, there are still some out there. Uh, we've had some big victories uh, in the United States. We've had even federal courts telling these state governors that they're not allowed to shut down our churches and things. So absolutely, guys, litigation should be a key tool in our arsenal for freedom. Uh, yes, they've corrupted most of the courts, but they haven't gotten all of them. And so if what happened in Alberta uh, was accurately relayed to us by that individual, then excellent work. Thank you uh, to, to the people involved in that lawsuit. And let's try to replicate that now in other provinces, in states here in America. Uh, we have got to free ourselves, folks. And, and if the courts offer a useful avenue for pursuing that, then by all means, let's get the lawsuits filed. Well, thank you to everyone. And to Alex, thank you for everything that you do. And I'd like to thank also your assistant, Jan Morrow. So thank you so much. And I'm glad to have a nurse comrade with me on your side because <laughs> we're all on one side. And yes, so this conversation for our viewers, this will only be meaningful, fruitful and impactful. If you can please share it and let's get to work. And yesterday I was, uh, I had an honor to meet Kevin Jenkins and other people from Arise.USA and they said, Yes, we just have to accept that we are the terrorists in this change. So we have to prove that we are the terrorists and make a difference. Don't just sit down. Don't just do mental uh, masturbation for all the information. To ask, thank you so much. And any more information? And please do come back in a few months. If you have time, please grace us again with your presence. Absolutely. I want to thank you guys all for what you're doing. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you to the shout out to Jan. She is truly a gem. She's a wonderful, wonderful lady who helps me try to keep my schedule under control. I'd be honored to come back on in a few months. So let's keep in touch. Thank you guys. God bless you all. And hope we'll chat again very soon. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, guys.